Amen. You can grab a seat this morning. Um, hey, one of the things we love technology, and at the same time, we're thankful that um, it's not required to worship God. Um, and so, so thankful for you guys being here this morning. Hey, I uh, want to just... Uh, uh, highlight one of the things that Aaron mentioned, but but I think it's really important to mention again. And so on your seat, you'll find invite cards for our Christmas Eve service happening at 9.30 and 4 on Christmas Eve. And we would love for you to um, invite somebody to come with you to that. And, and, here's, and, and they're going to be the same service, so you can come to both. We'd love to have you at both, um, or you can come to one or the other. Um, but here's three promises I want to make you if you'll invite somebody, okay? Number one, I promise you that I will do my very best to not embarrass you. Okay. Um, number one, I'll do my best not to embarrass you. Number two, um, we are going to have a good time and laugh. Okay. Um, so, so if you bring somebody with you, it, it is going to be a fun occasion. Um, and then thirdly, I promise you that we are going to share the good news of Jesus. Um, those are the three promises I can make you if you'll invite somebody to come with you um, on Christmas Eve. And so we're really looking forward to it. Um, it's going to be a good time. And so um, I, I love Christmas. Um, it's, uh, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday, um, but uh, Christmas is a close second. Um, I, I love the wrapping. I love the presents. Um, we, we love the food, right? Like, like in my, growing up in Texas, we, um, we didn't do a Christmas ham. We did a Christmas brisket. Um, and so, so love the food, love um, everything about Christmas. But, but in particularly, um, my family and I, we love the Christmas movies. Any Christmas movie fans in the, in, in the room, right? Like, like and, and, here's, and here's some of the, I love the stories that they tell. Um, I, I love that every year Rudolph is going to get to play Christmas games, um, that Santa against all odds is going to be able to deliver the presents on time, that George Bailey will realize that it's a wonderful life, Ralphie will get his Red Rider BB gun, uh, Clarence will get his wings, Kevin will once again thwart the wet bandits, right? Um, Buddy will be reunited with his father, and Hans Gruber will meet his maker in one of the greatest Christmas movies of all time. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking Die Hard. Um, it's great. Um, I, I don't endorse that movie. I just enjoy it. Um, and so uh, we, we love all the Christmas stories out there. Um, but, but what I want to do today... Um, is, is I want to talk about the Christmas story, okay? I want to talk about the Christmas story. And I, and I hate to use the word story because uh, um, what I think comes to mind sometimes when we, when we hear the word story is we think it's this made-up thing um, that didn't really happen. And, and what we know to be true is that Christmas is not just another story. It's the story, and it's, and it's grounded and rooted in historical accuracy of what actually happened and what took place. And so, so today we're kicking off a three-week series called Worth the Wait. And, and, and we want to look at the story of those who waited with faith for the coming of Jesus. We want to look at the, the story. And so today what I want to do is I, is I want us to, 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 to like, like so often I think we want to begin Christmas with baby in a manger. Um, but when we do that, we miss the magnitude of the whole story. We, we miss the backdrop of, of all that uh, led up to Jesus in the manger, 
Okay, and so, so what I want to do today is, is I want to give us a, a, maybe a differing, a different perspective on Christmas um, than maybe we're used to taking, right? Like we, we're, we're going to go to Luke 2 and look at Jesus in the manger at some point in this series for sure, probably on Christmas Eve, but, but I want to go um, back further than that to begin our series today. And so Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 1, John chapter 1 is where we're going to be hanging out mostly today mostly today. And so, so let, me, let me read this for you, um, and then, and then we'll, we'll, we'll pray and jump into it. So here's what it says in John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He, gave into, uh, he came into uh, the very world he created, but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed and received him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word became a human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Father, we are so, so thankful. We are thankful for Christmas. We're thankful for all the, the things that happen on the, on, on the peripherals of Christmas. But mostly we're thankful, Jesus, that you came. That, that, that you came and you made your home among us, that you dwelt among us. And so I pray that over the next uh, few moments, as we walk through this passage, as we talk about the story that, that trumps all other stories, that our hearts and our affections for you would grow and be stirred. I pray that our hearts would be ready to receive whatever you have for us from your word. Jesus, we need you, and we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So, so John chapter 1 uh, begins like this. It says, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word already existed. The word Word here is capitalized in your Bible. Um, and, and it comes from the Greek word logos, okay? It comes from the Greek word logos, um, which is the Greek philosophical idea that, all, that there is a source of all logic and animating force behind everything that was initiated, okay? Um, and, and so what we see John doing here is he is redeeming a Greek philosophical word. And here's a side note, right? I, I think it's a good thing that when we as followers of Jesus take the things that, uh, in, in the world and we redeem them for the glory of the Father. 
Okay, and so that's what we see John doing. He's redeeming the word logos here. And John is saying that, yes, there is a source of all logic who is, uh, who is intelligently put all things together. It says, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was, the, there was this logos. There was this logos. And the, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. And he created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him, except through him. And so this word um, is, is, is John is referring to Jesus here when he's talking about the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. You see, John wants us to see and know and understand that before Jesus ever showed up in a stable in Bethlehem, he was in the beginning with God, and he was God. He, he wants us to, to see that Jesus' Jesus's story didn't start there in that manger, that Jesus' story started before the world was ever even created, that this is where the Christmas story really begins, that in the beginning, God decided that everything that he was going to create, he was going to create it all for his glory. God, God created everything for his, his glory. Why? Because he's God and he does what he wants, okay? Um, and so, so this is what we see here, that God creates everything for his glory. That there is one God who exists eternally in three persons, um, and we call it the, the, the Trinity, and, and this is an and all of this creation is an overflow of God's love for God's self, and he creates everything for his glory. And so, so here's what I know. Okay, I know when we talk about the triune nature of God, that there's one God existing eternally in three persons, uh, I know that that can get really confusing, that, that there is a God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and I know that that can be a confusing thing for us. Here's, here's how I know that, okay? Um, my son this week, okay, uh, he, he, come, he, he comes and he goes, hey, Dad, um, I got a question. When, when Jesus is praying, is he just like talking to himself? Um, and I'm like, well, well, that's a good question. What do you mean by that? Do you mean that Jesus is crazy? Because if you think he's crazy, you're wrong. Um, but, uh, and so I'm trying to unpack a Trinitarian doctrine to my six-year-old, and, and he just looks at me finally, can I go play with my Legos now, right? Like he just, it, the conversation didn't uh, go as deep as, as I hoped, but, but that's okay. Um, but, but I think a lot of us can feel that way when it comes to the triune nature of God. It, it, it can be a bit confusing. It, 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 it's hard to wrap our, our minds around that. And, and here's, what, here's where I think, and here's, here's ultimately why I think it's hard for us to fully wrap our minds around. And I don't know that we ever truly will on this side of heaven, okay? I, I think it's hard for us to, to wrap our minds around it because we're not as smart as we think we are, okay? Um, and that's not an insult. That's just me trying to speak truth and love to you, okay? Um, that, that, that we are not as smart as we think we are. I mean, it's like uh, tr trying to wrap our mind the, around the full magnitude and scope of who God is in all the ways he functions and works. And why he does that is like us trying to go to the Pacific Ocean, me handing you a Dixie cup and say, okay, I want you to put the entire Pacific Ocean in that Dixie cup. And you're like, it won't fit. And I'm like, no, no, 
Yes, you're right. I'll be nicer. So you're right. That, it's not going to fit in that Dixie cup in the same way. Why would we think that in our small brains could possibly comprehend the full scope and magnitude of who God is? Why would we think that, that, that somehow, some way, we would be able to fully grasp and comprehend all that he is in every single way possible? It just doesn't, it's just not going to fit in this little brain of ours. No matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we pursue it, it's just not going to happen. And so, and so I understand that it's confusing, but, but this is what the Word teaches us from Genesis to Revelation, that we have one God existing eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they live in perfect relationship and union with, with, with one another and in the beginning, they all three were there, speaking all of existence into, all, all of creation into existence for their glory. This is, this is what we see. This is what we see. And they, 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 they just say, hey, I, 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 want, I want this, and, and there it is, right? It says um, that they say, hey, let, let's put the, the fish of the sea there, and the, the fish of the sea just appear there. And they say, hey, I want the birds of the air, and there's the birds of the air. Say, so, hey, I want mountains, I want goats, I want um, ostriches, I want, you know, wh- whatever you can think of, um, they just speak it, and there it is. Now, we don't understand that type of creation, but that's how God creates, right? He does that, except when it comes to mankind. When it comes to mankind, it tells us that, that he actually forms man by the dust of the ground with his own hands. He doesn't just speak men and women into existence. He, he forms us by the He forms Adam by the dust of the ground, and then it says that he breathes the breath of life into Adam's nostrils. This is what we see happening. He breathes the breath of life, and the moment that he breathes the breath of life in Adam's nostrils and fills his lungs with um, air, then we now see that Adam opens his eyes, and he is face-to-face with his creator. He is face-to-face with the God of the universe. This is all in Genesis chapter 1. And this is, this is what we see happening, that God speaks all of creation into glory, but he speaks, takes extra time to form man and breathe his breath into them. That every, and, and, and we gotta understand, every single person, every single one of us, we were created for this. We were created to be in relationship with our creator. We are created to be able to be face-to-face with our God. This is why we were created, to be in relationship with our Father in heaven. I mean, this is, this is why, this is what, this is what here's, here's what I know is going to happen, okay? Um, by 10.30 on Christmas morning, okay? 10.30 on Christmas morning, those of you that um, have bought your kids that gift that they've wanted that is finally going to get you Parent of the Year award, right? By 10.30 on Christmas morning, what you're going to find is your kids saying, I'm bored, Right? Like, you know it, right? Like, because, because that gift didn't satisfy for as long as you hoped it would satisfy. That, that gift didn't fulfill them as long as they were supposed to because we were created for something so much more than anything in this world could ever offer. We were not created for the things of this world. We were created for the glory of God. 
and to be in relationship with him. And only he can satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. Only he can satisfy us in, in, in the, that, that, that gnawing feeling that is, that is awake within us, that just keeps us awake. And man, surely there has to be something more. There is, and it's relationship with our God. That this is why we were created. We were created in the image of God to experience life in him in an abundant way, to give and receive love and to be in relationship with him. And in this moment, God, with his pe- God is with his people. The Hebrew word for this is Emmanuel, right? Like we just sang about it. Some of you probably have a Christmas card at home with that word on it, Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us that this is, a, this is a way that we can understand our entire Bible, that, that, that God intended, intended for, for man and him to dwell in perfect um, uh, relationship with one another in creation, okay? That this is what everything since the fall of man has been working back towards, to be back in that perfect relationship with our Father in heaven, Emmanuel. God is with us. And here's what, here's what I know. You want to know that God, in the God in the garden, He wasn't about a bunch of rules. Okay, God was not about a bunch of rules. God was into relationship, and here's how I know: because in the in the garden, He gives us a bunch of do's. Right? He says, "Hey, I want you to." Um, uh, tend and cultivate the garden, okay? You're, you're going to uh, tend and cultivate. Like, this is, the, this is where we get understanding that okay, work is a blessing from the Lord. Um, work isn't, uh, uh, isn't a curse as we know it, but it's intended to be a blessing. It's intended, to, it's a gift from God. And we're gonna talk about more work and how we recalibrate our work in January in our next series, but, but, but I, we have to understand, okay, God said, hey, I want you to tend and keep it. He also says, um, hey, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. And that's an incredible blessing, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And these are different ways that he did. But he gives them one warning. It's not even a rule, it's a warning. He gives them one warning in Genesis. He says, you see this tree over here? It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat the fruit of it because in the day you do it, you're surely gonna die. I am God, I want what's best for you. I am for your good. I am for you in every way possible. And so I'm telling you, don't eat of this fruit because it's going to go bad for you. It's like a loving father to a kid, right? Like, like, like as a dad, I, I, I warn my kids of things that are going to go bad for them. Like, like if my kid's out here playing on Parmalee Gulch Road, that's going to go bad for them, right? And how unloving would it be for me as their dad to just let them go out there and play in the middle of that busy road, right? That, that would, you, you, would, like you would call Child Protective Services on me. Like, and so, so what do I do? As a dad, I go out there and I show them all the squished squirrels and how that's going to go bad for them, Right? I show them, hey, listen, if you play here, this is what happens. That's what a loving father does. And so as God, as Adam and Eve's loving father, he gives them a warning. He says, listen, this tree, it looks really good, but trust me, it's going to go bad for you. It's going to go bad for you. But sure enough, the serpent slithers on in there or walks in there if he had legs or whatever. I'm not sure, but... And, and, and he shows up and he says, listen, God is just tricking you. You, sh- you, you don't, don't, don't believe what he's telling you. 
this tree isn't going to kill you, that God just doesn't want you to be like him. And Satan's temptation is for them to doubt the goodness of God, to doubt that God really is in their best interest, that he really is for them, that he really is with them. And Adam and Eve, they, they, they buy the lie. And they, they take the fruit and they, they eat of that fruit. They eat of that fruit. And everything in that moment, everything in that moment begins to go haywire. And Adam and Eve both reject God because the enemy has sold them on the lie. Because the enemy has sold them on the lie. And really, Adam and Eve reject God in two different ways here. In Genesis chapter 3, if you want to go look at it later, um, God, the Adam and Eve reject God in two different ways. Number one, they reject God in rebellion. They say, who do you think you are to tell me what I can do, when I can do it, and whom I can do it with? And then they just outright reject the, the authority of God. They completely, they just say, God, you're not the boss of me. I'm going to do what I want when I want. And they take the fruit and they eat of it. And, they, and, and in so doing, they reject God through just outright rebellion against him. Outright rebellion against him. And then they run from God, Okay. They, they, they run from God, and because uh, the Bible up to this point says that they were naked and unashamed, and so, so, and so what do they do? They, they, they then, not only have they rejected God through rebellion, but now they reject God through religion, okay? They reject God through religion. They say, okay, God, I, we, we know we've messed up, we know we've sinned, but I, I, I see my nakedness, I see my shame in what I've done, and, but, but God, I don't want you to have anything to do with healing me, I don't want you to have anything to do with fixing this, I don't want to have anything to do with you, I'm going to do it myself. And when we say we're going to fix our sin problem ourselves, that's religion, and that does not lead to relationship with God. And they go and they sew fig leaves together and they try and fix it themselves. And we can't fix our sin problem ourselves. But this is what Adam and Eve do. They reject God through rebellion. They reject God through religion. They reject God through religion. They say, forget you. I don't need you. I'm going to take care of it myself. And so God responds to them, and he, he responds in his holiness and his justice because if God does not respond with justice, he's an unjust God, and then he ceases to be God at all. So God must respond to sin, and he responds by, by, by sending them out of the garden, right? He, that they can no longer be in the garden where he is. And so they, they, he sends them out of the garden, but he also responds in grace, and love. And instead, he says, listen, I, I, I know you try to cover yourselves, but listen, that's not going to cut it. And so I'm going to have to uh, kill these animals, and I'm going to make clothes for you, and I'm going to cover you, your shame, your nakedness with these clothes that I've made for you. And God in his grace covers them, and we see from this moment forward that, that the penalty of sin is death. That, that, that these animals had to die in place of Adam and Eve. These, these animals had to die in the place of Adam and Eve. This is what Paul says in Romans. He says, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. That, that, that sin earns us death. Earns us death, but God in his grace and his love for Adam and Eve, he covers their sin um, with these animals. 
And so then at this point, we see, we see this promise made by God. He, he looks at Eve and he says, listen, I, th- there is going to be enmity between your offspring and the, 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 the serpent, the enemy. That he is going to be your enemy, but here's the, here's the promise I'm going to make you. One day, from your lineage, somewhere down the line, somewhere down the line, is going to be born a son. And when this son is born, the enemy is going to bruise his heel. And he thinks he's going to win when his heel is bruised. But when that happens, the, the, the son is going to crush the serpent's head. And this is the, 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 the moment and the promise that all the rest of the Old Testament looks forward to. They look forward to the serpent crusher coming. They look forward to the fulfillment of this promise where the serpent crusher will show up on the scene. And for the rest of the Old Testament, the people of God are waiting with hope in hopes of this serpent crusher showing up. And this is the story. That because one day there's gonna be a day where once again, when the serpent crusher comes, one day we're gonna be able to be in the presence of God again. We're going to to be able to be in the presence of God without shame anymore. The serpent crusher is going to restore things to the way they are supposed to be. The story continues on, and, and a guy named Abraham shows up on the scene, and, and Abraham is, been, is given a promise by God. He says, God, God looks at Abraham and says, listen, um, you look at the stars in the sky, look at the sand on the, on the seashore. That's a hard word to say um, when you're talking fast. Um, but seashore, and, and that's how many kids I'm going to give you. That's, that's going to be your family lineage. And, and Abraham says, listen, God, I don't know how this is possible because I'm old. Like, I'm, I'm like 80, 90, I'm like 100 years old. Like, I'm old. And my wife, she's older than old. Now, husbands, side note, don't ever say that. It'll save you a lot of grief. But this is what Abraham says. My wife, she's older than old. This isn't even possible, God, but, but God is the one who can do impossible things, and he sins. Uh, he, he gifts them with a, a child. They name him Isaac. Isaac then has a son, and his name is Jacob. Jacob then has 12 sons. I'm not gonna name them all for you, but, but he has 12 sons, and these 12 sons represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And then through a series of events, these This family ends up in Egypt. And as their family multiplies and as generations pass, Pharaoh then enslaves the the people of Israel in Egypt. He enslaves the people of of Israel in Egypt. And then this guy named Moses shows up on the scene. And Moses grew up in Pharaoh's household. He had the garage code and everything. Um, And and one day he, he kills another Egyptian and he has to go on the run. He ends up in the wilderness for 40 years just watching sheep and stuff. And, and God shows up to Moses and says, Moses, uh, I want you to go back to Egypt and I want you to set my people free. You know, and, and Mo- Moses is like, well, I don't know about that, God. Um, I, I'm really not that good at speech. I don't, I don't know how I can do it. What, who, who do I say has sent me? You say, you say, I am that I am has sent me, okay? I am who I am has sent you. Okay, and so so Moses goes up and he goes to Pharaoh says, uh, "Let my people go." Pharaoh, Pharaoh, right? We could do that whole thing, but I won't do that to you. Um, and and so 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 he goes and he says that to him, 
right? Let my people go. Um, uh, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, so, so God has to send 10 plagues. And the last plague um, is known as, as, as a Passover plague, okay? And they have to paint the doorpost with the blood of a spotless lamb in order to show that, that their sin and their house has been covered. And the, 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 the angel of death passes over the houses with the blood on the doorposts, and every house that isn't the firstborn son dies. Pharaoh then sends the people out. They cross the Red Sea on dry land, and they come to a place called Mount Sinai. And it's on Mount Sinai that they are given the Mosaic Law, or the Law of Moses. It's, we think of it traditionally as the Ten Commandments, but really there's like 613 commandments that he's given. And, and, and what we see here is, is the law shows us the way to go and, the what, and what God requires, okay? So, so, so the, the, the law of Moses is, is, is a map and it's a mirror. The law of Moses is a map and it's a mirror. And like, like um, it, it shows them the way to go and how they should relate to God, but it also shows them their reflection. Like many of us did this this morning, okay? Like hopefully you did anyway, right? You get up, you look in the mirror and you're like, oh man, I got to do something about that, right? Like you, you, okay, maybe not you, me for sure. Um, and so what do I do? I, I wash my face, I wash my hands, I clean myself up with water, I cleanse myself because of that, right? So this is what the law of Moses does. It shows us how messed up we are and then how to get cleaned up, right? This is what it said. And, and, and it all sort of centered around one day a year called the Day of Atonement, Okay? And we don't have time to get into all the, the Day of Atonement. But the, the gist is, of the Day of Atonement, you have one man, the high priest, one time a year gets to go into the presence of God and offer a sacrifice to pay for the sin of all the people. Okay? Um, that, that, that he sacrifices a spotless lamb. He sprinkles it on the atonement cover. God sees the blood of the lamb and sees that the, the penalty for the people's sin has been paid for in full. Okay? It's been taken care of been taken care of. And this was the day of atonement. And all of this was to prepare the people for the coming of the serpent crusher. All of this was, was leading up to the coming of the serpent crusher. So this is what the people would do year in and year out. They would pursue God and relate to God in this way. No real personal relationship. You could only relate to God through the high priest. And then we see in the Old Testament, we have some major prophets and we have some minor prophets. Isaiah, most of the prophecies that we talk about at Christmas time come from the prophet Isaiah. Um, and then at the end, we have Malachi who says, hey, don't lose hope. The serpent crusher is coming. But then God seems to go silent for about 400 years. And they are waiting and they are waiting and they are waiting for generations for the promise of, that was given all the way back in Genesis to be fulfilled. And then we see this guy named John the Baptist show up on the scene. And he was not a Baptist. Um, he was just baptized people. Um, and so, so John the Baptist shows up on the scene. Um, and one day when he's baptizing people, he says, Look, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he's pointing at Jesus. Okay, so, so he is declaring to all that Jesus is the lamb, that the serpent crusher has finally arrived. He's shown up on the scene. He is now here. And Christmas is a landed invasion of a redeemer on a rescue mission entering into enemy territory 
to set ransom, to ransom captives free. That this is what the story of Christmas is really about. That if we, we don't get the context of all that's led up to the baby in the manger, we miss the magnitude of what Christmas is really all about. We cannot miss this. Christmas doesn't begin with a baby in a manger. It begins in the mind of an eternal God before he ever even created the world. Christmas doesn't begin in the manger. It begins in the mind of an eternal God before he ever even created the world. And so, so then we kind of come back to John here, right? We, this is the story. Jesus has come. And come back to John, and we, we jump down to verse 10, and he says, he came into the world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. This is the people of the, the Jewish people. They reject Jesus outright. Verse 12, though, and 13. Here's the big why of Christmas. But to all who believed him and received him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen the glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. He, this is the why of Christmas. That, 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 that Jesus came, okay? And when Jesus came, it says this in verse uh, 12, right? He says, um, but, but for, when Jesus came and to everyone who believed in him and received him, okay? Well, what do we receive? We receive a gift, okay? We receive a gift, like, we all know how to do that, I think. We all know, maybe not well, but, but, but we all know how to receive a gift. We accept the gift. How do we do this? By believing in his name. By believing in his name. By believing that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Jesus is the Savior of the world. And, and, and what is the gift? We have been given the right to become children of God. That we have the right to be in relationship with God. That we get to be with God. That we have been given this right. But there's a big difference in, in, in I believe that and believe in. We, we have to understand that there's a difference in, hey, I believe that. Because I think there's a way that we can believe that intellectually acknowledges historical facts and truths that does not lead to salvation. There's a way that we can intellectually say, yes, I believe that, but we have not yet put our faith in. We have not yet believed in Jesus as Savior. And so, so, so what, what this looks like, and the, the easiest way I can think of this to help you understand this today is um, the, the, the chair, okay? The chair. When you came in here today, these are new chairs. You don't know anything about where we got these chairs, but you put the full weight of your life in that chair when you sat down, Right? Like, like the full weight of your life was absorbed by that chair. And you sat in it with faith that it was going to hold you up. That this is what it means to believe in Jesus. That, 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 that when he came and he went to the cross, that, that he paid for your sin in full. That he paid for your sin in full. He paid it all. And the question is, do we trust in him or do we trust in ourselves? 
Do we trust in him or do we trust in ourselves? How do we believe? Here's a way that we can understand it, and it's Christmas kind of way to understand it, right? So, so we are pro Santa Claus at my house, okay? Just we're pro Santa Claus um, at, at our house, um, but but I need you to hear this anyway. I know there's some kids in the room, but but hear this anyway. Jesus is better than Santa Claus, okay? Jesus is better than Santa Claus. Like I, I don't know if you know this, but this Santa Claus thing is a rough deal, kids. Um, Santa Claus is a rough deal. Like his whole scheme, his whole scheme is, is based on being good to earn his favor so he'll bring you some presents. And, and I just want to be honest, he's kind of creepy. Um, Santa's kind of creepy. He's got a list somewhere with your name on it. And, uh, and do you, do you realize that, that he's watching you while you're sleeping. I don't know about you, but that's a creepy old dude. He's checking you out. He's making reports about you. And, 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 and he doesn't even grade on, on, a, on a scale, right? It's either pass or fail with Santa Claus. It's either naughty or nice. He's only got two categories. And here's the thing. He's going to report on you. He's going to report on you now. Now, all of us, uh, I know you kids in the room, right? Like, there's some naughty stuff you've done this year, Right? Um, and, and here's where it gets even crazier. He's going to alert your parents to the naughty stuff that you are doing and the naughty stuff that you've done. But here's, kids, I want to just tell you something. Your parents are naughtier than you, right? Like, I just, I mean, like, I just want to be honest with you, kids. You're going to grow up one day and find out your parents have done some shady things, okay? Um, that's just reality. Um, they're they're well-meaning, but, but that's, that's the way it works, um, sorry, parents. Uh, but, but, this, but, but Santa's whole message is be better, try harder, and I'll give you a present. Be better, try harder, and I'll give you a present. He even sends little creepy elves to sit on your shelf and watch you, right? This whole Santa thing is about being good to earn his favor. It's about being good to earn his favor. But here is where Jesus is better. Jesus is not about what you've done and not done. Jesus is not about earning favor. Jesus is not about try harder, be better, work more uh, closely, but, but it's about grace towards broken, messed up people like you and me. It's grace and it's love for you and for me afforded to us through the cross of Christ. That it's not, like, like this whole thing is not about how good we can be and not be. It's not about the rules we follow and don't follow. It's not about religion. Like, like we try and say that here all the time, that this is not about religion. This is about relationship. It's about a relationship with the, the one God who spoke all things into existence. And he came to this earth to rescue us and redeem us so that we might be reconciled to a most holy God. Out of love, he came to us. Out of love and grace for us, he came to this earth. And he put skin and bone on. And he dwelt among us. And he made his home among us so that we could be called, we could have the right to be called children of God. But the only way this happens is if we believe in him. 
It's the only way to receive this gift. The only way to receive the gift that Jesus gives at Christmas is to put our faith and trust in him and what he has accomplished through the cross. Because it is on the cross that he paid for all of our sin, past, present, and future. He paid it all. He declared on the cross that it is finished. Meaning that there is no more sin to be paid. He's covered it all. And if we would just say, Jesus, I need you to save me. Jesus, I believe in you. And we would have the right to become children of God. To have a relationship with him forever. And this is what we are asked to believe. And we, we, we know that he's paid it in full because three days later he rose from the dead. And in so doing, he restores the ability for us to have relationship with the God of the universe. That, 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 that as he formed Adam from the dust of the ground and he breathed the breath of life into Adam's nostrils, that we have the opportunity now to go back to that where Adam opened up his eyes and he was face to face with his creator. In the same way, if we would believe, we now have the opportunity to be face to face with our God again and see the joy and the smile and the love that comes from our heavenly father at being with him. This is the good news of Christmas. This is the good news of Christmas. This is, this is what generations and generations have waited for coming of the King, the coming of the Messiah. And all that it takes to receive that gift is just belief. And so if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes. Listen, here's, here's what I know. I know that this is a busy season for, for so many of us. We have family things, we have work things, we have, um, we have friend things, and we have all these different places we're trying to run and we're trying to keep up. And on top of that, we gotta buy all these presents. And it's so easy that, that, that in the midst of this season that we can miss the whole point. We can miss the, 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 whole, the whole thing. All of that stuff is peripheral and, and we can enjoy it and have a lot of fun with it and, I, and I'm all for it. But in this season, let's not miss Jesus, the serpent crusher, and what he has accomplished for us in his coming. Let's not, let's not miss that you were created for so much more than the busyness of this life. You were created for intimate relationship with the God of the universe. That you don't have to go through me, you, you don't have to go through anybody else, that you can talk to him at any moment, at any time, because of what he has accomplished for you on the cross. That you just simply go to him and say, God, I need you. And he's there, he's listening, he's active in your life. He's coming after your heart. And he desires this relationship with you. So today, here's what I just want to I just want to give you and everybody in the room an opportunity to respond to this. And so if you're in the room today and you just say, hey Marcus, I I, I don't have a relationship with, with Jesus right now. All right, maybe maybe I do some 
some religious things here and there, and, and I think that my, my good works are gonna get me into heaven one day, but, but honestly, I, I don't know that I actually have a relationship with God that's active. And I would just say today, you can begin a relationship with Jesus today. That right there where you're seated, you just have to pray something like this, and you can pray, say, Jesus, I know that I've messed up. I know that I've sinned. Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God who came to rescue me, to redeem me. And I pray that you would forgive me and save me today. It's not about the words you pray, it's about the faith in your heart that you believe Jesus has paid it in full for you. So if that's you today and you pray something like that, man, would you just let us know about that? We wanna celebrate that with you. If you're in the room and you say, hey, I've made this, uh, I've made the, maybe the last month, maybe the last few weeks, I've, maybe the last year or two, I've just been all over the place and I haven't been pursuing my relationship with Jesus. I've just been sort of going through the motions. And you say, man, I, I just wanna go, I wanna come back to the, the heart of the season, the reason I was made. I wanna come back and, and pursue a relationship with Jesus again. I just wanna walk with him and desire him. So Marcus, so, so if you just say, Marcus, will you just pray for me today? Pray for me to, to, to desire a relationship with Jesus more fully and that I would have time to focus on. If that's you, would you just put your hand in the air? Nobody's looking around but me. Just say, hey, would you pray for me? I wanna, I wanna pursue my relationship with Jesus again. Okay, thank you. Okay. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for Christmas. That, that this whole season, as crazy as it is, it's ultimately about you. May we remember the story, the, 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 the backdrop which led up to you in a manger and the significance that that is, the magnitude that that weighs in all of history and that we now have the right to become children of God because you came. So Jesus, I pray that you would stir our hearts and our affections for you during this season, not, not to let us get so busy that we miss you. So Jesus, we need you today, and we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name.